if I stopped, the race was over. My legs would never start. So I was trying to make eye contact with the driver, make sure he wasn't going to hit me. And I finally decided that what I was going to do is that if he pulled out in front of me, I was just going to hit the side of the truck to stop myself. Episode 15, Matt Kelly. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. The word marathon stems from the tale of a Greek messenger named Pheidippides. The story goes that Pheidippides ran 150 miles in two days from Athens to Sparta in order to enlist help from the Spartans after the Persians landed in Marathon, Greece. Following the Battle of Marathon, Pheidippides ran 25 miles from the battlefield in Marathon to Athens with the report of victory only to collapse and die after delivering his message. Our guest today is Matt Kelly. Matt is the founder and former race director for the Durango Marathon in the Durango Double. He holds a personal best of 2 hours, 34 minutes, and 55 seconds in the marathon and 1 hour, 13 minutes, 32 seconds in the half marathon. Matt, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks, Travis. Uh, it's great to be here. And uh, hearing your quote reminded me of a, uh, a quip that Frank Shorter made. Um, I believe he said, why the hell didn't uh, Pheidippides die at uh, 15 miles? <laughs> yeah, that would have been a lot easier on it, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Great. So, Matt, you're obviously here to talk about marathoning. Uh, take a few minutes to tell our listeners um, about your connection to marathoning. So, so thanks, Travis. My my connection to marathoning actually started in, in 1996. Um, I was a, a football player, wrestler, track athlete in high school, and found myself about 11 years after after graduating high school, like a lot of formerly successful athletes, um, overweight and sitting on the couch. And I'd just gotten married um, to my wife, Sherry. And in fact, today we're going to go out and celebrate um, our 20th wedding anniversary. So back in 96, thanks, thanks. And back in 96, we'd just gotten married. Um, Sherry decided that she wanted to get in shape and get healthy. And I joined her in that. And we decided to uh, to do to run as a way to get in shape. And I couldn't run three blocks without stopping. And that was a that was a huge eye opener for me. So we continued to lose weight. I lost about thirty pounds. Um, kept running more and more. Got to the point where running twenty minutes a day was comfortable. And then Sherry entered uh, a five k, a women's five k. And I was like, well, if she can run a 5K, I can run a 5K. So I found a five, a local 5K and um, uh, went and entered and um, found myself at the starting line. And a mile into the, into the race, um, I, I looked around and I was with the lead pack. And um, that didn't last too long. I didn't have any any stamina or endurance, <laughs> um, but uh, but I suffered um, mightily through five Ks, and probably probably is the reason that I still hate five Ks today. Um, I think it's the most painful race ever. Um, 
you know, unlike, a, you know, I was a half miler in, in high school. So, you know, pretty painful. Two laps, you know, I always describe it as, you know, you run the first 200 meters as hard as you can. Uh, and then you start pushing. And then you really start pushing. And then you kick and you collapse at the at the end. But that 5K just goes on forever and ever, just suffering the whole way. So I suffered through that. And then some other friends of ours decided that they were going to run the uh, a half marathon. And I was like, well, if Betsy and Rich can run a half marathon, I, I could run a half marathon. So um, I found the Chicago half marathon and started uh, training for that and realized that if, uh, if I just trained five more weeks, um, I could, uh, I could run the Chicago marathon. So you can kind of see the flaw in some of my early logic of like, oh, you know, it's only five more weeks to go from half marathon to marathon. So there was a bit of a suffer fest in that first Chicago marathon, but I made it through. So in the beginning, you kind of underestimated the the training necessary to get into these events. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I did what probably like a lot of uh, people do when they're, when they're first getting started is, you know, I, w- I joined a, a marathon training group, but every weekend it was like a race. You know, we would you know, we'd get gathered together on the on the Chicago lakefront and we'd start training. But it was like a it was like a race every weekend. And that was absolutely not the right way to be uh, to be training for success. But I got through it. Yeah, I can see that. So you compared I mean, when you talk about the 5K and you're saying it's brutal, would you consider it brutal now because you can't uh, kind of develop a pace as you would in a training for a marathon or running a marathon? I think the the brutalness just really comes from it's it's all out. It's one of those one of those races. It's I would, I would say it's the longest race that you have to come to the line to the starting line, sweaty, fully out of breath. You know, so you're in really in the middle of um, you know stopping your warm up. Um, you're you're breathing heavily. You really come to the line hot, sweaty, and ready to take off racing. And it's the longest distance um, of a race that you need that to, to do that for, you know, because in the next step up, you move up to 10K generally, and you can, you, can find, you can find a pace and a rhythm in a 10K that's not an all-out sprint. Um, but, but really the 5K is that longest of that, of that torture. You know, the, you know, you might see the same thing in a you know, in a 1500, 1600 meters, certainly as you move down into 800 meters. Um, but that 5k is, is, is a long time to, to be suffering like that. Yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't have thought about that not being a runner, but I I get what you're saying. It makes sense. How many marathons have you run to this point? Um, I've run, I've run 18 marathons. Um, I've run, uh, the Boston marathon twice. Chicago was my first, um, I dropped out of the Richmond Marathon at about uh, about 18 miles into it. Um, I've run the Tucson Marathon a bunch of times. Being here in Durango, Colorado, um, and and having the Tucson Marathon be a December marathon, it was always a good uh, late late year marathon. And so I've run that a, a number of different times. And and I've probably trained somewhere around uh, 150 people to run to run marathons as well. So a lot of, okay. a lot of time spent around talking and running marathons. Okay. It seems like it becomes an addiction once you get started. 
um, it definitely can become a a, a way of life. Uh, the the marathon's a, a little bit odd that uh, there's there's certainly people who can run marathons every weekend. You know, if you look at somebody like Dean Carnassus, what did he run? Fifty marathons in fifty days for his fiftieth birthday. Um, you wow. can do some really extreme stuff like that. But when I was at the the peak of my competitiveness, um, I only had uh, about two marathons a year in me. Um, so um, so there's a lot of a lot of planning and thinking and preparation that goes into just a just a couple of shots to run well. It's it's not it's not like a half marathon or a 10k or you know 5k that you can run you know week after week you know month after month that that marathon is really a one shot deal well that's what i was thinking if you're i mean it, two marathons in a year would be a lot anyway but you're you would constantly have to be training for that wouldn't you i mean it's not like you're training for the one is going to carry you to the next one half half a year later no absolutely not in fact and and you're Looking generally, when I when I was when I was training really hard and racing really hard, um, I was looking at another a month, at least a month of downtime following a marathon. So peaking for that marathon and then taking you know thirty to forty days off uh, following following the marathon. Um, they they say that you should take off a, a day for every mile that the that the race is so a marathon is is 26 days and um i really always found it was more like 30 35 days off right yeah and i'm sure different people's bodies recuperate at, at different rates as well but yeah mine mine was not one of those people who could who could race you know race hard weekend after weekend on uh, uh at the marathon distance well i saw that there's actually a 100 marathon club there's people that that go out there and strive to to do a hundred marathons. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I used to say I wanted to do a hundred marathons, one a year, and live to be you know a hundred and thirty five. But uh, yeah, <laughs> then you realize you're sane. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then there's the there's the fifty states marathon club where um, they're seeking to run uh, a marathon in every state. Um, you know, people who want to run marathons on every continent, which of course. You know, when you get into Antarctica, that's a that's a that's a challenge. There's a, there's really only one marathon there. I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> few few attendance too. I would imagine. Yeah, it's a it's it's a hearty it's a hearty group. Well, yeah, I saw that there's uh, over 500 marathons globally now. Yeah, yeah, it's a you know distance running and endurance running has really exploded. Um, both, uh, both road and trail, um, racing have just, just exploded. So why would you encourage people to get into running, get into long distance running and competing? Long distance running, endurance running is, um, is really about, about personal growth. Um, the, the transformation that takes place, um, as somebody, uh, contemplates running, um, a half marathon or a marathon and then you know, moves, moves into the, the training process and goes through that. It's really just phenomenal personal growth work there. Um, I was always amazed in training first time marathoners that as we would begin to build up, we would start at three miles and we'd continue to add uh, a mile a week until we got to 10 miles. And then after that, we would start doing some dropping back as well. But we'd, we'd work our way up to that 10 miles and 
you know, they were they were just petrified of ten miles, and and rightly so. It was it's a it's a long run, and yet they would they would do it and they would succeed and we'd continue on. And then as we got in further and further into the marathon training programs, we'd get up to where we were doing you know eighteen miles, and they would be dreading that, and they would do it. And then the next week we'd have ten miles, and they would say, "Oh, it's only ten miles," and uh, that transformation that goes on from be- from going from from doubt to believing that you can do it is just a, a phenomenal transformation, and and it's a it's a wonderful experience for uh, for was for me personally as a as a marathoner to experience that, and then to watch that in other people. So if you wanna if you wanna grow, uh, a marathon's a great place to do it. Yeah, I can relate to that. And, and I think that's a common thread with all of these sports is, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a bit of a fear factor with a bunch of them that once you get in, there's certain hurdles that, that you just can't imagine getting over. And once you do, you realize one, wow, that was actually easier than I was uh, fearing it would be. And two, what an awesome feeling it is to actually make that. And now that you've gotten up to that, you know, that net, next ratchet stop, you know, that it doesn't seem, um, it doesn't seem difficult whatsoever to pass and then go on to the next one. So I imagine that's, you know, same thing with long distance running and marathoning that you just have to strive for the next step, the next ratchet stop and keep going up and up and up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then when, when you're actually get into the, into the race as well, the, you know, the, it starts out so easy and then, you know, it becomes more and more difficult and the, the gremlins in my mind would start, talking to me and, you know, suggesting that I, um, that I quit and, you know, persevering through those and, you know, managing all the, all the obstacles that, that come up. Um, I remember at the, at the Tucson marathon, I was, I was about 22, 23 miles in, um, on the, on the race that I, that I ran the 235 and, uh, a car, a truck started to pull out in front of me. And I was maybe, oh, 150 yards away and he was pulling out and he was pulling out and he was waiting for traffic. And I, I knew there was absolutely no way that I could stop. Um, if I, if I stopped the, the race was over, my legs would really? never real, would never start. So I was trying to make eye contact with the driver, make sure he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna hit me. And I finally decided that what I was going to do is that if he pulled out in front of me, I was just going to hit the side of the truck to stop myself. And that I, and that I knew that, that I could, I could bounce off and, and stop myself against the side of the car. Um, and fortunately he, he, he saw me at, you know, maybe 20 yards out and he stopped and I could see that he knew that I was there and I was able to get past him. But just the, just the mental games of, of trying to, to, to deal with all the obstacles, the, the anticipated ones, like, you know, things like chafing and stuff like that. And, um, but also the unanticipated ones of what do you, what do you do if a, if a car pulls out in front of you? Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great exercise in, in mental toughness to run a marathon. 
Well, I would never. I mean, what a what an excellent story. I would never even think of that because you know the guy in the truck. His you know what was going through his mind is well, the runner will stop. Of course, he's not going to come in front of me and risk his life or run into the side <laughs> of me. He's just running. He's out for a jog. But you wouldn't think that you know psychologically and and you know, and your muscle movement and memory going on at that time that your body is really not going to let you stop. And that would just never cross my mind as a as a as a driver in a vehicle if somebody's approaching me. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, I don't you know, I don't know where they were going or whatever, but it was Sunday morning at like, I don't know, 8:15 in the morning. You know, it was the middle of, right. you know, it was early morning. He's not supposed to be out there. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> He's supposed to be leaving it off to us, but you know, in a, in the distance of a of a marathon, um the race director just can't protect you. You know, right. um, we saw that in, in the Olympics, what it was at about eight or 10 years ago in the summer games. Um, somebody, it was in Athens, uh, a guy came out from the crowd and tackled the guy who was winning the marathon. Oh yeah. I remember that. And, um, the second, the second place runner went on to get the, the gold medal. The guy could never, could never recover. He was winning the Olympics his entire life. You know, this guy's had to have been training for, 10, 15 years for this, you know, the focus of his life, you know, year after year, mile after mile, the dream is finally coming true. He was at like 22, 23 miles, probably about the same place I was. Um, and the guy ran out and tackled him. And that was it. They, they didn't say, you know, the Olympic committee didn't say, well, you know, you, we're going to give you the gold medal because, you know, you don't right. won. They just said, sorry. You know, sucks, sucks to be you. Right. Um, and no, that's got to be a heart crushing. I mean, uh, you got to, I just can't even fathom what, what, what goes through that, even to that, you know, to the day, today. Yeah. What goes through that guy's mind. No, I can't either. My only hope for him, and I, I have no idea what happened to him. I can't even recall what his name was, but my only, my only hope is that he's got a well paying speaking career, um, teaching the lessons from, uh, from that experience and probably better paid than the guy who got the gold medal. Yeah, because uh, exactly. it's, it's a far more interesting story to tell of well, how do you <laughs> how do you come back from that in your life after after losing like that? But they just can't protect you. You know, they can't protect you from spectators. They can't protect you from from cars. Right. Well, I, I don't want to uh, demean his situation, but I, I have to chuckle because it reminds me of the Tanya Harding, uh, Nancy Kerrigan <laughs> yes. <laughs> situation. <laughs> who who knew that, uh, that that competitive skating was a was an adventure sport complete with, uh, you know, you know, knee breaking and everything like that? It is now. I guess maybe I'll have to uh, call Nancy Kerrigan up and get her on the show. <laughs> she probably wouldn't appreciate me laughing at that. No, point. probably not. Hey friends, don't miss out on the family fun that is the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness this summer. Paragus Northwoods Company, located at the edge of the wilderness in Ely, Minnesota, is a leading supplier of fun for families and friends in the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Paragus supplies the canoes and the camping gear that makes a wilderness adventure so easy and so enjoyable. Find them online at paragus.com. That's P-I-R-A-G-I-S dot com or pick up the phone and talk to their outfitting department at 1-800-223-6565. 1-800-223-6565. Geargasm.net is the number one place to buy outdoor gear made by startups, independent, and innovative outdoor brands. 
They sell everything from backpacks, stoves, tents, solar power technology, trekking poles, and everything else you need when you go outdoors. Check out their full line of products for all of your day hiking, backpacking, and car camping needs at Geargasm.net. That's G-E-A-R-G-A-Z-M dot net. Be sure to use the coupon code PODCAST to save 10% on your next order. Hi, friends. Will you help us make the Adventure Sports Podcast successful? Please rank us on iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe, rank, review. Thanks. I can relate to the uh, the training, and uh, I don't I don't mean to compare my training, you know, to the to running a marathon. But my wife and I, uh, a few years back, a couple years in a row, ra- rode the uh, MS one fifty ride uh, in Colorado for multiple sclerosis, right. and that ride would go from the Royal Gorge from uh, South Denver, and you know we would have to be out there riding, and we did it on mountain bikes because that's what we had, but we were. You know, I'm thinking about your training and, and comparing it to our training. And we were out there every day just trying to tack on a few more miles, a few more miles, a few more miles. Um, you know, it was difficult for somebody that didn't ride that much. We did mountain bike riding back and single track and whatnot. But to put on 75 miles each day was a big ordeal for us. So I can kind of relate to what you're talking about. I don't think it's nearly as uh, as tough as what you set out to do. But And, you know, and, and I, I, w- I would say that it is. That, that that's one of the other really cool things about endurance sports is that um, we all get to line up the same. You know, it's, it's, it's all the same. You know, if you know, if you if you play basketball, if you watch football, you know, um, you know, I'm never gonna, especially from a from a basketball standpoint, never get to play, you know, with the with the pros. But right. um, but whether you're first or last in a marathon, you ran the same distance. You know, you do a 150 mile bike ride. I don't care whether you're Lance Armstrong or you know any of the other you know the great the great riders out there. Um, or the person who finishes that 150 last, they still did 150. True. You know, we're, we may be a little bit more gifted or faster or whatever, but I used to, I used to tell people that, you know, I, you know, they'd say, well, you know, it must be really great to run a, you know, a marathon in, you know, two hours and 40 minutes. And I'd say, you know, that and two bucks will get me a cup of coffee at Starbucks after the race. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, we all, we all did the same thing. And so that's that's the great equalizer to endurance sports. And, you know, when I dropped out of the Richmond Marathon, everybody who did not drop out of that race beat me. Yeah, that's true. Even if they came in last. <laughs> exactly. They still, you know, and, you know, everybody who starts an MS-150 ride or a marathon or, you know, a three-day breast cancer walk does far more than the person who never starts. So it's it's really... A personal growth journey. It's really about competing against ourselves, not competing against um, each other. Because when you look at it, you know, you take you know any of the great great races, great marathons. The the real the the race to win is really wrapped up with just a few people. I mean, I was at, I was at the two thousand three Boston Marathon, and I had the fifty second fastest qualifying time in the world for that race, and that I was nowhere near in that race. You know, I was nowhere around. I, I ran with most of the elite women, uh, and, uh, and then got dropped by all of them as well. Um, and so that, that race, 
you know, is really a tight cluster of a few people. It's really against ourselves and, and what we can do and what, how we cope with what goes on for us. Yeah, I think you're right. You got the, the top few that are actually competing for the actual race win and the rest of them, whether it be marathon or 5k or just simply competing against their own time or just to see if they can complete it. Exactly. Your marathon personal record of two hours, 34 minutes and 55 seconds is pretty darn fast. I was doing a little bit of research and I saw that the average marathon runner is something like three hours and 30 minutes. Is that, is that about right? Yeah, that's a, that's about right for, for an average. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive, uh, to, to clip an hour off the, a full hour off the average runner's time. So thanks. Yeah. And that was, that was actually, a, 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 an interesting psychological piece with that is that um, before I had ever even ran my first marathon, um, I was sitting around after a, a wedding reception. Um, so we'd, we'd been drinking and we were sitting around the, on the beach in Michigan, um, campfire going, and we we're talking about marathons because one of the guys sitting there was getting ready to, he was going to run the Chicago marathon that year. And, and I hadn't even really, really even contemplated marathoning. And so it, somehow it came up, well, how fast do you think you could run a marathon? And I thought about it and said, 236. I bet I could run a 236 marathon. So I've always been curious about what was the psychological, you know, impact of, of saying that I could do that. What if I would have said, I bet I could run it in 220. Could have I then run a 220? Yeah, um, you know, question. you know, or did I, you know, did I somehow intuitively know myself so well? And I, and I think it's really about how we set our goals and 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 what we can, what we're willing to commit to, um, really at a at a deep a deep psychological level that that really determines what we're what we're capable of doing. So it's kind of kind of interesting that I had predicted that seven years before I'd even uh, even ran it. Yeah, that is interesting. I think psychology factors so heavily into all the adventure sports. I mean, I think there's a lot of sports out there that, you know, the average, uh, the average Joe might look at and think, I wouldn't call that an adventure sport. But in my personal opinion, I think the adventure comes in the psychology of it. You know, when you're trying to beat your personal best or you're trying to push through that 10-mile uh, 10 mile mark in a week uh that's that psychology of it is really what makes the adventure of it right and i think that you know when i think adventure sports i think the word adventure means i don't know for sure what's going to happen yeah i would agree you know so anytime you start to do something and you really don't know what's going to happen i think it's an adventure and i think it's worth worth doing yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I've said in the past that I think the adventure starts when the plan falls apart. <laughs> you know, that's that's when it becomes adventurous. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> okay, um, I mean, you told us some of your uh, your history as far as starting out in '96. You know, running a little bit and then realizing you wanted to register for a 5K and then eventually try a a full marathon. Do you have a story of your most amazing experience that really truly got you hooked on long distance running? Yeah, it uh it it really was um the the very first Chicago marathon that I that I ran. Um having having tra- trained for that and you know transcended a lot of a lot of the boundaries that I had for myself, 
you know, I went from three miles, like every, you know, like most runners who start training for a marathon, I went from three miles and built up and moving through 10, 15, 18, you know, 20 miles. And then um, never having run beyond 20 miles in my training, because I remember I didn't give myself enough time to, to really train properly. So that last, that last six miles was, uh, was a true adventure. Um, my wife, Sherry, hopped on the L after seeing me early in the race. So in Chicago, you've got the train system. So she hopped on the L and went down to the south side of Chicago and met up with me. And um, I was right at that. I was about 20 miles in, and I was, I was just hurting. Um, and we were running along together. She jumped into the race with me, and she said, well, do you want me to, do you want me to talk or be quiet? And I said, talk. And uh, her first words out of her mouth were, well, at least you're not that guy throwing up over there on the sidewalk. And there was some runner who was, who was, who was throwing up. And <laughs> just, the, just the sheer grittiness of that, of that last six miles. And then the, somehow that second wind or you know, the endorphins kicked in. And I was able to really pick up the pace the last mile. And she dropped out and made her way to the finish line. And I got to the finish line. And... Um, I couldn't, there was no water, you know, Chicago marathon, there was no water at the finish line, which of course isn't true at all. I just simply wasn't conscious enough to be able to find it. Um, okay. but they, but they had the most amazing food available for the runners. So we got our, you got our medal. I got my medal and just feeling the weight around that was so inspiring and the mylar blanket around me. And I went around taking a bite of, of food from like each food vendor and I would just throw it on, you know, throw it in the trash. You just, nothing tasted good. And, and at some point I came, came to consciously and I was sitting in the middle of the street with, uh, with frozen yogurt and a beer and nothing has <laughs> ever tasted Gross. so good as eating frozen yogurt, vanilla frozen yogurt, and drinking a beer after after a marathon. And there is absolutely no reason, given how much I suffered, that I should have ever done another one. But I was hooked right then. So you're saying frozen yogurt and beer got you hooked on long-distance running, huh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, not all of our experiences in our adventure sports go as planned, which we said that that makes an adventure. Do you have a great story about one where things didn't go so well and what you may have learned from that experience and something you can help uh, our listeners maybe cope with the yeah, same situation yeah, if it comes upon? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so I, I had started training with a, with a small group of, of competitive runners um, in Durango. And we decided it was my idea that we would go run the Richmond, Virginia marathon. And so we trained, um, we, we flew, we flew out there as a, as a group to, to go run the marathon and, um, morning showed up perfect weather. Um, I had a, a friend of mine had agreed to, uh, pay to fly his bike out and pace me and pass me bottles during the race off of his bike. Um, the race director was cool with that. Off we went. I was running really, really well, right on pace through about, about eight miles. And then my stomach started sloshing. My liquid wasn't draining from my stomach. 
and my sister had come out to driven up from Delaware to see the to see the race so I had family there and I I kept pushing on and I thought it might clear and um it just kept going and it kept getting worse and worse and worse um I realized that you know I I'd stopped drinking at about 14 miles you know still had you know another 12 miles to go and you know realized I was there's no way I was going to was going to manage it with another 12 miles of not drinking. Um, so the, the, the configuration of the Richmond Marathon course is kind of in a figure eight. And so at about, uh, about 16, 17 miles in, you pass the turnoff that goes to the finish line. And so I ended up just choosing to bag it. Uh, my, my pacer and I turned instead of going straight and continuing on. And I came through the I came through the finish line, and you know I was I was done. The lesson that I learned was that if you want to race at a peak performance level, when we're picking dates way out in the future and saying this is going to be the day, I'm going to be at my best on this day, and especially with something like the marathon where you only get two a year that the willingness to quit when things aren't going right and and do it again another day is the key to success if you're looking for that that performance peak performance of of racing success um that was the Richmond Marathon was in like October um I took a little bit of recovery all it had been was a good hard training run I picked my training back up and I went to Tucson that December and ran that 235. And so you got to be able to quit. Um, cause if I'd have gone all the way, I'd, I'd have been done. That, that's it. That's would have been my one shot for that six month period. Right. So know when to say when it's important. Exactly. So how would you say long distance running or marathoning, uh, benefit society? I think, I think there's so many different ways that it does. Um, one from our own physical health, um, our mental health. So, so physically people who go out and, and run and train for marathons get in better physical shape, even if they're not that sort of ultra skinny looking runner, their, their hearts are healthier. Um, they're stronger. They've got more stamina. They're able to get out and do more of what they want. So physically, it benefits them. And of course, anytime our you know people in our society are are healthier, we all benefit because it's less of a less of a drain on our on our healthcare system. People who believe that they can do something that they once thought they couldn't become inspirations to uh, their neighbors, their family, who then begin to push and transcend their own limits. Um, they try more things. Um, in their work life, in the charities that they give to the the groups that they work with, so they're they're more inspired to to do more. And then the 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 charitable component of of races of running races is is phenomenal, as it is with a lot of different adventure sports and endurance sports, but especially running. Uh, is heavily charitably oriented. So most most races have a charitable component to them, whether it's something like team and training where they're raising money for the, the Lymphoma Society or any of the other training teams that raise funds or the races who donate money to charity. 
Um, it's, it's great for us. It's a great way to combine sport and charitable giving. Right. Great answer. Yeah, I think uh, just having something to focus on in life like that, you know, so many of us get bogged down in work life and in errands and all the stuff we have to do to, in order to have uh, some sanity going through life, to have something like long distance running or any other adventure sport to focus on is uh, is mentally soothing, I would say. Yeah, it 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 puts a it puts a little bit of a structure behind uh, behind the day and the week and you know and the month. Right, exactly. Well, Matt, thanks so much for giving us your time today on the Adventure Sports Podcast. You've told our listeners some great stories, and I hope they're entertained after listening to you. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. It's uh, it's great to have gotten to to visit and to to be able to uh, to relive relive some of those uh, those memories. And in fact, it makes me want to put on my running shoes and go for a run this afternoon. <laughs> well, I hope it makes others want to do the same. That's what it's all about. Well, if uh, next time I'm down in Durango, I might have to look you up and I'll take you out for a, a frozen yogurt and beer. <laughs> I'll take you up on it. <laughs> and we can skip the 26 miles beforehand. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I would prefer that. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Travis. Take care. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us. 